Tonight, we're going to be talking about character, and, uh, you know, that's who a person really is, and we're going to be talking about how uh, the Lord works in the lives of men like us uh, to reshape our character so that he can use us for anything that he wants to do. And so that's the main theme tonight. If you want to take out your uh, little handout in the basket, there's a couple of questions on the first page. And what we'll do is we're just going to go through them real quickly together, and then we'll revisit these at the end of the night. But it's just to kind of get some of these ideas in our head and let us you know, think about them um, before the evening is over. So we know that Butch and Bruce have some praiseworthy job skills. They are intelligent, well-spoken, able to lead, knowledgeable about God's word, etc. They have lots of praiseworthy capabilities. The Lord Jesus Christ has entrusted his church at Maranatha into their care. And even more importantly than these kind of job skills that they have, they've allowed the Lord to shape their character so that they are useful for every good work that the Lord has for them. We're going to think about why is godly character more important than ministry skills. We're going to talk about what happens to a ministry when the leaders have poor character What does the Lord do with them? And then the other question is, why does the Lord need the skills of his, does the Lord need the skills of his workers? Or does he need a holy conduit through which to do his work? And if so, why? And then number two is working hand in hand with the Lord to produce proven godly character takes a long time and it's usually involves a certain amount of pain. Our reactions to God's efforts to refine our character reveal something critically important about us. It determines whether we love comfort more than character. The question we all need to ask ourselves is, are we okay with loving comfort more than character? And we know that talk is cheap. So how do we prove it to ourselves if we really do uh, love character more than comfort? Are whining and complaining indications that we love comfort more than character? When, When life gets hard and the Lord is shaping and refining our character, sometimes it can be painful and unpleasant. If we whine and complain during those times, would that be an indication that we love comfort more than character? The other thing we need to keep in mind is comfort in this life has no eternal value. Proven godly character has value in this life and the one to come. Therefore, which should we be more concerned about? Well, the obvious answer is character. question is, are we? So... So we'll kind of revisit those again at the end of the night. So before we get started, let's pray. 
Oh, our Father, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for each and every man that's here. Um, it's an honor to be a part of this group. It's, it's an honor to um, glorify your name. It's an honor to um, just put your great character on display. Uh, it's an honor to be your servant. And Father, we just pray... Uh, for each man tonight that we will think long and hard about our character and how godly it is, how pleasing it is to you. And Father, we pray that we would be willing uh, to work hand in hand with your spirit to uh, enable us to be shaped into whatever uh, mold you would like us to be in so that we are capable of serving you in every good work. And, and Father, we know that there is no one clever enough, and I'm certainly not clever enough, uh, to inspire somebody or to get them to change their minds or do anything. That's something that only you can do. And so, Father, we would throw ourselves totally on your mercy tonight, and may you work in each of our hearts as only you can do, and may you do it first and foremost for the glory of your son. And we pray all these things in his name. Amen. So as I said earlier, we're discussing character. And because it is extremely important to God, it's a broad and deep subject. So we could talk at great lengths about character we don't have that much time, and so we're going to focus kind of on how God shapes men's characters, and we're going to use Moses as an example. Because we are fallen and sinful human beings, reshaping our character is a long and at times painful process. We accept this process and indeed welcome this process because we love the Lord Jesus Christ and we trust him in explicitly. There may be a little discomfort right now in each of our minds. We are not real excited about pain. We don't like to be pushed out of our comfort zones. We have our own little comfortable routine that we like. And sometimes the Lord pushes us out of that because that's what it takes to build godly character. We look around sometimes and we see other men with godly character and we admire that greatly, okay? But the question would be, are we willing to be shaped like that person we admire because they came up from a point just like us at one time? And so, you know, there's also this thing when you know, there's kind of the joke, like when you're facing a hard, difficult thing, you go, oh, this is character building. So we kind of intuitively know that character building is sometimes a painful process. And that would be a correct conclusion. And so, but we're not going to worry about the pain part because all we're all real men in this room. Real men laugh at pain and real men want to be shaped no matter what the cost. I got one guy is chuckling here, okay. 
This is as funny as it's going to get. I'm sorry. Maybe this is character building for you guys. I don't know. So I don't know if you can relate to this or not, but for most of my career, I worked for a large corporation. In that company, you were basically shown that the job skills and the amount of formal education were the key elements of value to the company. Okay, whenever they posted job openings, they always had education requirements and they had job skills and they had job content. There was one thing that, at least from my perspective, that was glaringly absent, and that was character requirements, and more specifically, proven character requirements. So I worked in this corporation for about 30 years, and the vast majority of issues we had with human beings were not related to how smart they were, it was almost always related to their character qualities or their bad character, which created the problems in the organization. So the Lord knows that character is critical. And just like earthly employers, he has one place in God's word where he shows us his job requirements. That's in 2 Timothy 2, 20 to 21. Yeah, in a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones are for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, that's a reference to character, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean and you will be ready for the master to use you for what kind of work? Every good work. That's a pretty broad thing. Now, we're not saying the Lord asks each one of us to do every possible thing we can do, but he has the ability to use us for many different things when our character is fitting for him to use. In this passage, the Lord is not concerned about kitchenware. Keeping ourselves morally pure and our lives morally clean are character qualities. In God's economy, it is the most important qualifications. We have leaders within Christ Church here at Maranatha. Their godly character is the most critical element in their service to Christ and to his church. Over the years, some leaders here have needed to be removed from their positions. Were they removed because of lack of skills to do the job? Or were they removed because of character issues? Well, they were, the problem was character issues, not job skills. The Lord Jesus Christ commands that each man in this room possess proven godly character. When we have that, he can use us for any and every good work that he chooses. Therefore, another rhetorical question, what should be our highest priority? 
As an ABF teacher, I am always seeking to increase my knowledge of God, his word, and to love people more deeply. These are noble and necessary things to pursue, but my highest priority must always be working hand-in-hand with the Holy Spirit to deepen my character so that I can serve him adequately. If we look at this next slide, we can see some kind of a walk through it in kind of a sequence. And we'll understand a little more broadly why character is so important to God. God is infinitely worthy of praise. Well, what's one of the things that makes him worthy of praise? It's his, his, it's his impeccable and perfect character. And what does his perfect character produce for us? It causes him to be trustworthy, okay? So then we look at ourselves. If God's character is important to who he is, which it absolutely is, it's one of the things that makes him God, our godly character makes us trustworthy and useful. And a lot of times we will talk about Oh, I want to be more Christ-like. Well, to be more Christ-like is to have your character shaped and reshaped until it is more like the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, we can always expect the Lord to gladly answer a prayer to make us more Christ-like. We just have to know that, that what comes with that could be something that's difficult. <clears throat> Let's look at this whole thing from maybe a little lighter perspective. And maybe this is your experience or you can relate to this. When I was first saved, the Lord began reshaping my flawed character. At times it was painful and at other times deeply painful. One day the Lord opened my eyes regarding this process and let's use a car restoration analogy. I think if Jim Hofus was still with us, he could relate to this one. I thought, in my mind, I was kind of like a dinged-up car that the Lord just needed to restore to, like, showroom quality. And then after you go through a bunch of things in your life and your character is being reshaped, you quickly realize that a dinged-up car really isn't descriptive of who you are. Actually, I was like an old beat-up car abandoned in a farm field that needed an incredible amount of reshaping and work to turn into a functional car. There we go. Yeah. So I think that's a picture of Mike Bates in 1982. Okay, that was the year I got saved. He needed a lot of work in God's garage and body shop. Did it look like Mike needs a lot of reshaping? Absolutely. Was it a long process? Absolutely. Was it painful at times? Absolutely. But if that's the starting point, then you would expect that to happen. Okay, let's fast forward now 40 years and see how he looks today as in using a car analogy. He runs, 
hey, this is not funny. We're not laughing at this. Okay. He runs now and is useful, but much more work is needed in God's garage and body shop. You notice I picked a real sporty car there. If he wants to be fully useful in God's eyes, how much more body work is needed? Well, I would say a good bit. So then the question would be, must I be okay with that? Yeah, I must. Okay, and then the question is, must you? Because a lot of us may have started out like the old truck in the field, and now maybe God's got us to this point, but we're not done. Okay, enough laughing at my expense. Let's turn our attention to Moses. Moses was a great leader. He was perhaps one of the greatest leaders of all time. Before Moses was fit to serve the task, God took him through a lengthy and sometimes painful character building process. He spent 40 years in a wilderness being refined by the Lord. And, you know, just as a side note, I, I was kind of glad to get Moses to talk about because Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness and he was 80 when the Lord started to use him. And I've been saved for 40 years and I'm 72. So Moses and I are close in age and We've had about the same length of refining process. So I thought, okay, I can relate to him. And, uh, and the other part that was neat was when, when Moses kind of graduated after 40 years from God's refining process, he had a really exciting job to, to lead God's people out of Egypt and... Uh, free them from the slavery and all that. I mean, he had a big task, and it was exciting and rewarding. It had its challenges, of course, but um, my my stage of life right now is, has been extremely exciting. Um, I have opportunities to teach. I'm getting to disciple some younger guys. Um, this is just a really exciting time for me as well, so... Um, I'm glad that the Lord doesn't retire us when we get older. <clears throat> On these next slides, we're going to see sort of a wonderful synopsis of Moses' life uh, that deals with him before he's uh, taken to Midian for the reshaping and then when he comes back. So this was all from Stephen's um, sermon that he gave to the um, Israelite leaders right before they stoned him. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. Remember, the Pharaoh ordered them to kill all the male babies, and that would have included Moses. At, that, at this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. 
And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. Okay, so if we look at that last verse there, that's really describing his job skills. Okay, these job skills would have shown brightly on his earthly resume. If Egyptians were putting together resumes, Moses would have had a tremendous one. But we will see that God was less impressed with his job skills. He was more concerned about his character. So we move on. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers. This is Moses now, the children of Israel. And seeing one of these children of Israel being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they didn't understand. And based on what we know about the Israelites, that's not surprising, really. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Man, you're brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Okay, if we wanted to insert a little humorous comment, who is this guy, who's this Israelite slave talking to? Who did he just say, who made you a ruler and judge over us? He's talking to Moses, right? And what's Moses' position in Egypt? He's the son of Pharaoh. Is he like a big deal? Okay, he is. So, in an earthly sense, the answer to the Israelites' question is, Pharaoh made me ruler and judge over you like I'm ruler and judge over much of Egypt. So I don't know where the slave guy was coming from, but that seems like a real odd thing to say. Let's go on. Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Another character-building step was having two sons. but So at the very same time that all this stuff is going on, the Lord was working within Pharaoh's HR department and clearly recognized Moses' need for God-honoring character and thus sent him to Midian. Okay? That's another humorous insight into that in case... You, you should laugh here, you please. Thank you. Okay. Now, now we're getting to the fun part. Now when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight, and as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. 
And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them, and now come, I will send you to Egypt. And if we want a simple translation of what God just told him is, God's saying to Moses, I can now trust you with my glory and your proven humility will allow me to use you as I see fit. So we know that godly character, which includes humility, is absolutely necessary so that God's glory is safe in our hands. We are merely tools in Christ's hands. He does the work and therefore must receive all the glory. And what he does is he uses holy vessels to do his holy work. So it's our jobs to have the kind of character that he can use as he sees fit. Let's contrast the before and after in Moses' life and ministry. We'll see just what happened over those 40 years when God was shaping Moses. We won't look so much at the individual things that were used. We'll look at the resulting things that happened. And we would conclude, I think, logically that Moses was a broken man compared to what the position of where he started. This first slide says, Moses, 40 years earlier, what did, what did, uh, what do we hear about Moses? He, Moses, supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. Okay, that was when Moses was 40 and he decided he was going to deliver the Israelites. Okay, now let's look at 40 years later after God has forged his character and forged his humility. One, but Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? That's from Exodus 3. Okay, that's a little different approach than what he did when he was 40. Another instance was Moses protested again, what if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? Okay, a whole different mindset rather than grabbing the reins and going to lead the people out himself. Are we clearly seeing a high level of dependence on the Lord and less dependence on himself from 40 years earlier? Yeah, clearly. And is that a good thing? Yeah, absolutely. Are we seeing that the Lord broke his pride and his independence and his self-reliance and all those things? Yeah, we do. Let's look at another example. Moses, 40 years earlier. What did it say? He, Moses, was mighty in his words. Okay. Then what, what do we see 40 years later? But Moses pleaded with the Lord. Oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been. 
and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Now, unless we don't understand what mighty in words means, this is where he is now, where he's more concerned. Uh, you know, we're hearing the words of a man that's been broken who can now be used by God. Let's look at another 40 years earlier. He, Moses, supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. Okay, Moses had an idea that he could lead Israel out and they would follow him. Okay, let's look at him 40 years later. But Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. Okay, so we're seeing a really big change in his perspective. Okay, but this is what the Lord needed to make him a leader that he could use. So let's go back over this again and look at it from a little different perspective. So we'll ask a few more questions. How old was Moses when he believed it was time to lead his fellow Israelites? That would be 40 years old. At age 40, did Moses have some impressive job skills? Okay, he was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. Okay, he was a, and according to Josephus, the um, Jewish historian, he was an accomplished military leader. Okay, so we're talking about a guy that was highly educated, highly skilled, lots of talents. What, so here could be a built-in problem for God. Next question, what happens to the character of current day superstar athletes that are always in the limelight? Do they believe they are a bigger deal than they actually are? Yeah, Alex, what did you, when you were a superstar, isn't that how you kind of got along? Or? Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. Might that have also happened to Moses doing, due to his exalted position in Egypt? Now, he had to be a big deal in Egypt, being the son of the Pharaoh. And so that had, to, that had to mess with your mind. Okay, that's not a recipe for humility. Not when I think the Pharaoh thought he was a god. What insights do we see about Moses' character at age 40 from his encounter with an Egyptian that was abusing a fellow Israelite? What did we see? What did he do? He killed him. Okay. So we could say that he was probably headstrong, that he was impatient, that he was emotional. He was not submissive to the Lord. He was not thinking about the big picture. He didn't have a workable plan. There was a lack of humility. He did not seek the cooperation of the Israelites. He did not allow God to pave the way in his timing and in his way. 
So there were a number of issues that would be directly tied to Moses' character that would have made him unsuitable for God to use to lead the Israelites out. How do we know for sure that Moses needed to have his character refined by God so that he was prepared for every good work of the Lord? How would we know? The Lord sent him to Midian. Okay. And so that's how we know that's what the Lord needed to do. How long was Moses in the land of Midian being refined? Who said that? 40 years. That's like a blink of an eye, right? No, that's like a really long time. Okay. So might Moses have looked like the beat-up truck in the field and needed to be brought into something that was more useful? Yeah, and it took the Lord 40 years to reshape Moses' character. So might it be logical for us to conclude that it's going to take the Lord a while to reshape our character? Yeah. Was that a long and at times painful training process? And the answer to that would be obviously yes. Was Moses a better man and a better leader when he left Midian to return to Egypt? Absolutely. And will we be better and more useful to the Lord when we allow him to reshape our character, even if it's at times a painful thing to do? Absolutely. Here's a key verse that's kind of amazing when you think about how did the Lord describe Moses after this refining process? And we see it in Numbers 12, 3. Now the man Moses was very humble. How humble was he? More than any man who was on the face of the earth. Okay. That is not an opinion. It's not something that was said at Moses' funeral that might have been an exaggeration. Sometimes we hear things at funerals that are not accurate. This was stated by the Lord himself who sees and knows all. So this is the clear judgment of God himself. He was the most humble man on the face of the earth. What would that include? He was deeply dependent on God. He considered others more important than himself. And he did not push his own agenda, but the Lord's agenda. Okay. So that's really nice that Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. So let's ask a question of ourselves. Would the Lord say that any man in this room is the most humble at Maranatha Bible Church? Three elements of humility are dependence on the Lord, not ourselves. Considering others is more important than ourselves. And to not think too highly of ourselves. 
We are lousy judges of our own humility. We need to ask the Lord what he thinks. And when he tells us the truth, we need to be willing to accept the answer and allow him to change that. Is it possible for a man in this room to become the most humble man at Maranatha? Is it possible? Does any man in this room lack the resources to become much, much, much more humble? No. We lack nothing we need. We have the mind of Christ and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to reshape our hearts and minds. All we lack is our willingness. Now this is a hard conclusion that is right in our face, basically. If we are not humble, it is all on us. We cannot blame anyone else. Why don't we repeat that last sentence together? We, we, we cannot blame anyone else. Okay. You know, I'm not real thrilled about writing this stuff and having it for the class because obviously this applies directly to me and this is hard when you're thinking through these things. Uh, we cannot blame anyone else. Question, what would we be willing to undergo to make that happen? That is the question. Are we willing to be reshaped by God even at the expense of our personal comfort and our personal wants? And a man willing to be humbled by the Lord to become a more godly individual loves godly character more than personal comfort. We live in a society where what is the king? We want the maximum comfort and the minimum what? Pain, yeah. Well, that's not, that's not how God's economy works. Okay, but when a, when a man loves godly character more than personal comfort, then he's willing to work hand in hand with the Lord to get, you know, to do what is necessary. Let's go back to our, that little handout you guys had at your table. Where's Rick Kaleli? So we have Rick here, godly man, elder, former pastor. He might have some qualifications to respond to some of these questions. Okay, so we'll get his insights. Butch and Bruce have some praiseworthy job skills. 
They are intelligent, well-spoken, able to lead, knowledgeable about God's word, etc. The Lord Jesus Christ has entrusted his church at Maranatha into their care. More importantly, they have allowed the Lord to shape their character so that they are useful for every good work that the Lord has for them. Okay, so Rick, from a pastor's perspective, why is godly character more important than ministry skills? Well, you, you read out of Romans where it says that let no man think more highly of himself mm-hmm. than he ought, mm-hmm. and then Paul goes on to, to talk about um, uh, the gifts of God. And mm-hmm. uh, if you have a gift, it's a gift, you know. The problem is when we have gifts, we start thinking more highly of ourselves. Oh, mm-hmm. look how good I am. Mm-hmm. Well, the truth is um, um, we're not that important, okay? Right. We're, we're really right. not that important. And if God has given us a gift, all glory goes to mm-hmm. him. And uh, you can't separate the messenger from the message. Right. The message is powerful. If the, if the messenger has poor character, we bring reproach to the name of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and uh, uh, the message doesn't come out. You can't right. give away what you don't own. Right, right. Well said. What happens to a ministry when the leaders have poor character? What does the Lord do with them? Well, we've seen it in a lot of ministries like a lot of the television evangelists Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, you know, even some people that we listen to on the radio that were, you know, phenomenal teachers. Mm -hmm. I mean, greatly godly men. But then when their character fell into sexual sin or something, I don't know about you guys, but it just devastated me. Some of the men that I listened to were very godly, mm-hmm. and it just destroys the ministry. Right, and it, and right. it gives the world, uh, Peter said it causes to bring reproach upon Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and the people getting to believe that, you know, well, maybe this message isn't real. Right, right. Does the Lord need the skills of his workers or does he need a holy conduit through which to do his work? And why? He, he doesn't need our skills, okay? Um, I always heard that you get hired for your skills, but you get fired for your attitude. <laughs> okay. okay, that's a good and, one. And it's the truth. And uh, our skills are only he, what he's given us. None of them is uh, that we developed our own. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, if you're really honest with yourself, you know, you really know that the skills you have didn't come from from you it was a gift from God so he doesn't need our skills but he does need people that are willing to surrender and Mike I loved what you brought out humility and Mm -hmm. uh, um, dependency upon God that's the whole key is being dependent upon him hard part for us as men is we we are we're independent I can do this Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah thank you let's look at number two Working hand-in-hand with the Lord to produce proven godly character takes a long time and a certain amount of pain. Our reactions to God's effort to refine our character reveal something critically important about us. It determines whether we love comfort more than character. Are we okay with loving comfort more than character? And no one of us would ever say out loud, oh, no, that's, yeah, we just love comfort more than care. No, we never say that, okay? But talk is cheap. 
How do we prove it? If during a refining process with the Lord, we do a lot of complaining and whining about what we're going through, what might that really indicate about how much we love character and how much we love comfort? That might be an outward sign that we like comfort a whole bunch more than we like character. Another thing to consider is comfort in this life has no eternal value. Proven godly character has value in this life and the one to come. Therefore, which should we be more concerned about? Well, obvious answer is we should be concerned about godly character. Then the question would be, are we? In the middle of your handout, there's a little poem, and you can read this at your leisure, and I first read this probably 30 years ago, and it sort of unnerved me when I read it, and uh, if you've never read it before or thought about these things, you might have that same kind of mindset, like, whoa, whoa. God does things to men to get them to where he wants them to be, and it might all not be grins and giggles. So you may want to read that and think that through. Let's try one, well, you want to read this together? Why don't we do that? When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man, and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world shall be amazed, watch his methods, watch his ways. How he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects. How he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay which only God understands. While his tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands, how he bends but never breaks when his good he undertakes, how he uses whom he chooses and which every purpose fuses him, by every act induces him to try his splendor out. God knows what he's about. And that last line, I think, could be looked at from two perspectives. God knows what he's doing when he's shaping our character. And also, he knows what kind of man he has when he's done shaping it. So that can go both ways. But some of those lines have to have been written by a guy that had been shaped by God. Okay, one last challenge. Look at the last page. And because this room is full of real men, I feel like I can be 
blunt. Let's stop for a moment and pray to the Lord. This prayer of commitment can be easy to say, but difficult and even scary to mean. Let's act like men and be upfront with the Lord Jesus. There's two options here. As of Thursday, March 23rd, 2023, I am not willing to be reshaped by you into a man who can be used for every good work. I am unwilling to pay whatever personal price that comes with such reshaping. But Lord, change my desires. Okay, that's one option. The other option is as of Thursday, March 23rd, 2023, I am willing to be reshaped by you into a man who can be used for every good work. I am willing to pay whatever personal price that comes with such reshaping. So let's think about this and pray about this for a minute or so. And then... Let's sign our names next to the prayer that describes where we're at right today. And I would encourage you strongly, don't lie to the Lord Jesus, okay? But this is a hard thing, and it's, but we need to, we need to be sort of objective with this and not just go out tonight without thinking these things through pretty hardly. So let's uh, close in prayer. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of Moses. Uh, We just thank you for not leaving us where we were. Lord God, we are thankful that you were willing to undertake the long process of reshaping our character. And Lord, we want to be more like your son. We want to do, to have character that glorifies your character, that reflects your character in the world. We pray that you would use us and shape us and redirect our lives even at our own personal expense and Lord the Lord Jesus is so important to us that we want to honor him with every part of our being and so Father you know we are made from dust we have feet of clay Um, we often shy away from those things that are hard And Father, we just pray that that will no longer be said of any of us in this room, uh, that we will stand strong for Christ, that we will honor him, and no matter what the future brings, uh, our character will be so steadfast and so like your own that there will be nothing that we can't accomplish for your glory and your good. And we just ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.